Greetings. We're glad you've returned to the Black and Grim podcast, an original horror fiction performance. Come in. Come in. My name is Mr. Black, narrator and host of tonight's Dark Tales. Grim is somewhere pinning the next foray into nightmares, or lurking in the shadows. Hard to say with that madman. Also, we are nearly to the halfway point of Season 1. What's next in store for our hero? Last time, we learned a little more of Tad Wilkinson's madness. But now, settle down, try and get comfortable, for it's time to start Episode 4 of Danny's River. They are rules. Life isn't some horror movie. It's no romantic comedy. Nor is it some Shakespearean tragedy performed on stage for all the world to see. I mean, it shouldn't be. But there's a rule English majors learn when they study literature. There's a rule writers, hell, storytellers, must learn early on. Life doesn't have to make sense, whereas our fictions do. Suspension of disbelief, you know? But god damn it, they are rules my life sure as hell wasn't abiding by. Case in point. Now there aren't many feet separating where I sat on the living room couch and the front door. Maybe 20 feet, perhaps more or less. Whoever belonged to the heavy fist thrumming the closed and blessedly locked portal hovered beyond sight. Normally you can pretty much see anyone standing at the door. But when I turned around, when I pressed my fingers against the couch cushions to pull myself closer to the window, I couldn't see anyone. My heart went nuts inside my chest. It beat the bony railing so hard I nearly passed out. I moved with a burglar's delicateness towards the dangling drawstring. I hesitantly reached up and drew the curtains closed. If I couldn't see, neither would my intruder. Another three knocks trumpeted the curtain's fall. I lurched backwards and nearly toppled into the cluttered coffee table. Luckily, my fingers instinctively locked onto the couch's back, causing me to rock forward, almost as if they were the living room's airbags. Still, my shin scraped the waiting table, and I bit my tongue to prevent a pained cry from escaping my lips. When two additional knocks rifled against the door, I stood upright and thought, Please, not Todd Wilkinson. Let there be some reprieve. I mustered courage from somewhere beneath my dread and hurt. A heaviness lashed my legs, hindering them from speedy movement. Oh, I could cross the room and open the door. I believed I might even defend myself if the murderer greeted me on the other side. But my body cried out against this titanic effort. Only absolute willpower prevented me from sliding to the floor. Only sheer determination prodded me into seeing this through. My footsteps rumbled in my ears, their stilted falls thunderously echoed through the empty house, though admittedly, this might have been nothing more than my imagination. I opened my mouth, intending to call out to the visitor, to tell them I would be at the door in just a moment. Only silence flowed from my lips, 
arid desert form where my tongue refused to meander. Words caught somewhere in the bowels where our essence stores the most perfect utterances. Open. Closed. Open once more. Why couldn't I speak? Even now my mind gripped the letter my hands had relinquished. This must be it. My mouth knew that to speak would welcome the monster into my home. <sighs> but I still needed to open the door. A damning compulsion. But did not revelation and damnation play bedfellows at times? Words struggled to free themselves from the cage of my mouth. Twice more my lips parted, yet the words refused to come. Humans like to think they're imbued with unshakable bravery. They'll meet adversity head on, undaunted by fear. The truth is, we're stalled by our own trepidation, far more often than we admit to ourselves, let alone others. And still, while gripped by nearly uncontrollable fear, we find ways to persevere. That being said, words didn't pour from my mouth. No demands were forthcoming. Yet, all too soon, I stood, arm outstretched, before the front door. Slowly, almost ridiculously slow, I reached for the silver knob and, releasing my breath, when I realized I had been holding it in, twisted the knob. My heart thundered. My insides ached. But the door swung open to reveal... Scott? Huh? The hell are you doing here? My best friend shifted from foot to foot as he stared through the doorway. Dark cherry splotches spread across his cheeks, and his hand, which had been poised to strike the surface again, fell limply to his side. We stood there, suddenly strangers or intruders into each other's worlds, and floundered for the right words. Anger filtered through my shock. Heat cascaded through me. Sometimes passion's intense heat, sometimes the cold douse of shock. Unable to keep my eyes on him, I stared out into the world beyond, purposefully ignoring the steps I had spent so long scrubbing. What the hell are you doing here? You've been gone most of the day, brother. We, my moms and me, we got nervous. You gotta start answering your damn phone, man. Especially with some crazy killers on the loose. His chagrin steadily dissolved into anger of his own. Well, you gonna make me stand out here or can I come in? A petulant feeling came over me, and for an instant, I considered refusing. He was right after all. Tad Wilkinson could have been lurking in the tree line, separating my house from the neighbors. He could have been. He had been inside my house since the cops had cleared out. Suddenly feeling unsafe, as I registered how foolish I had been, I beckoned him to come in. Stepping backwards, I moved to one side and held out an arm indicating towards the living room. He entered, glancing at my face with an intensity that told me he had questions. Or, perhaps, he suspected something was more amiss than I had willingly let on. Sorry, I mumbled, more to feel the stilted silence than to offer sincere apology. I expected a response. I anticipated words calling me out for acting sketchy, though I will tell you, I don't know why the hell he didn't just yell through the door and let me know who the fuck was beating on it. As the thought settled in, I found myself putting voice to the question, why didn't you just call through the door? It isn't like I don't know who you are. Instead of answering, he moved into the living room. I watched him study the piled mail and folded laundry. I even saw his face tilted towards the floor between the coffee table and couch, to the letter, to Todd's letter. Scott peered over his shoulder, his eyes bore into mine, but he didn't say anything. Instead, he left me in the doorway. I couldn't return to the couch, not knowing I'd have to address what lay on the floor. 
He went to scoop the hateful paper into his hands. Look, man, I'm kind of freaking out. So I'm going to need you to tell me why the hell you didn't just call out and let me know it was you. He averted his gaze, sheepishly. I thought, I was like, what if that guy who killed your folks was here? What if I called out and something bad happened? I know your car's in the drive, but you might have gone for a walk. Or that fucker might have got to you. I know it's stupid, but you ain't the only one who's scared these days. Oh, what's this? He asked quietly without looking at me. Instead, his eyes fixed on Todd's letter. Read it. My words carried across the room, though they were barely more than a whisper. My mind blinked as his eyes drifted from edge to edge. Once or twice, he glanced my way and started to say something before shaking his head and returning to the letter. He read it, laid it down on the other mail, and picked it up to read again several times over the next dozen minutes. All the while, I stood, back pressed against the doorframe so I'd maintain my footing, and silently watched him. Thoughts blessedly evaded acclamation into consciousness. Finally, he lowered it and turned to me. Holy shit! Is... is this for real? How do you mean? This motherfucker was in your house, and he's claiming to be your pops? Why the hell are we still here? I shrugged, not knowing which answer to address first. Danny! Come on, man. This right here? He picked up the letter and waved it at me. Is nuts. What do you... Call the police, man. You got a psycho thinking he's your father, killing your family, and doing your laundry. That's some real messed up shit right there. He started looking around, as if expecting Todd to come barreling from a shadow at any given moment. I wanted to tell him to calm down. The man wasn't here. But, well, what if he was? I didn't join Scott's panic. Instead, I took the letter from his clutches and studied the neat script. He's not here. Can, can we talk about this? Maybe unpack it a bit? It might help. It might help me understand what the hell happened. Scott's expression said he didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't disagree, but I also didn't intend to flee. Still, I expected an argument or at least some remark on my lack of good sense. Instead, he moved to the side so I could sit down too. Scott was a good friend, and in retrospect, I took his dependability for granted. Alright brother, alright. Tell me what you notice. You're the English dude after all. I swallowed as I thoughtfully stared down. Even now, an uneasy feeling swam through me. It threatened my stability, hinting that all the negative emotions, the fear, anger, sorrow, were only kept at bay for so long. But I was good at analysis. I'd excelled in my literary theory classes and typically received top marks when completing the editing process. I believed I could dissect Todd's insane letter by transforming it into something for study. He has really neat handwriting. It reminds me somewhat of a typewriter. Not quite perfect, but extremely close. He thinks himself a good storyteller. There's... There's an arrogance to his writing. The writer, Todd, seemingly believes his truth is the absolute one. Words staggered from my mouth, slowly at first, but with escalating speed. I could do this. I was doing this. For his part, Scott continued to listen, though his eyes periodically wandered towards the room's two exits. When he waved his hand for me to go on, I said, he switches tenses halfway through. This struck me as peculiar, almost like bad storytelling. When writing, you're told to keep the tenses consistent, 
but the killer didn't stick with the traditional past tense. It was like once he left Appalachia, and now that I feel more calm, I wonder where in the mountains this supposedly took place. His mom had never mentioned she had lived anywhere other than the coast. He grew too impatient. What are you thinking? A lot. What's the significance of switching tenses? Actually, that don't really matter, does it? Many people fancy they're the next James Joyce when they can't write for shit. I suspect he told enough so we know he's dangerous, but he don't seem to know what part of his story he wants you to hear. According to this, he thinks he's my dad. I already gathered that. Ain't the first man thinking he was the daddy when he wasn't. He hesitated, drew in breath, and asked, Do you think he's your dad? Rage propelled me to my feet. No, I know who my dad is, and, and he isn't it. Then, whether he believes it himself or not, you know your truth. What's next? Honestly, man, and I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but you really don't need to be alone right now. At least not until the sick fuck is caught. I can take care of myself, I muttered petulantly. No, you can't. Scott had this unpleasant way of speaking his mind, even when it was particularly inconvenient. I loved and hated him for it, even as I silently accepted his condemnation. You're going to get whatever you need and stay with mom and me. Don't you have an apartment to go home to? An uncomfortable, heavy silence followed. When he didn't answer, I asked, What aren't you telling me? Have you heard from Trent? No, not since last night. He grunted in irritation. I've been asked to move out. His cousin needs a place and they'll cover my half of the rent. What? Huh? He don't want anything to do with the mess you're going through. The dumb shit had the nerve to tell me that as long as I was letting killer bait hang around, he didn't feel safe. Running a thumb across his mouth, he leaned backwards and rested the back of his head against the upper cushions. You're serious? I... I... Thought you guys was friends? Yeah, me too. Fuck him. I'll get my stuff whenever. Besides, mom said I can move back into my old room for however long I need. She's cool like that. He scratched his head, thoughtfully, as if the gesture held some mystical power to make things alright. Scott ambled to his feet and circled the coffee table, only pausing to look down at the mess atop it. Wordlessly, he crossed the entranceway leading towards the kitchen and, using the wooden frame to prop himself up, turned to me again. You know this isn't a Saturday morning cartoon. You need to take that letter to the police and let them do their job. You're starting to sound like a broken record. Since when have the cops ever really been big on solving crimes? Bitterness oozed into the words, coaching them with a peculiar irony. Besides, I told you what mom said about him. A pillar of the motherfucking community. But mom kept secrets and... And wait a minute. I shot to my feet, my eyes tilted as if I could see upstairs into her bedroom. Huh? What? Letters. Letters? The ones you've been talking about in your sleep? Scott gingerly motioned towards Todd's letter. Yeah. No. I mean, the letters Mom had told me about. Probably the same ones, but they both mentioned them. I think I know where she'd hide them, too. Where? In her closet. We'd see her putting something away in the bottom. Come on. You mean you never went snooping? Wouldn't you have already found them by now? Scott had a point. Still, not wishing my sudden optimism to go unrewarded, I darted to my feet and charged from the room. I had not ventured to the second floor since seeing my mother's dead body next to my pile of laundry. God, am I stupid sometimes. In my haste, I didn't wonder what would happen when I saw my bedroom door. I've been told I can fixate on a task 
until all the surrounding details fade into the backdrop. Extreme focus, I guess it's called. Useful when you're working on a paper or class project, not so much when you're in your murdered family's home. Translation, when I stepped off the staircase onto the second floor landing, the first thing I saw was my bedroom door, and my knees buckled as my vision misted and reality swung unceremoniously into my face. A small slip of paper had been pinned to the door. Danny, what happened, man? Scott asked, coming up behind me. He reached down and, sliding his arms under my armpits, helped me regain my footing. He hadn't seen the door, the door which should have had police tape across it. I... I forgot. I whimpered, meekly. I shielded my face from the unlit hallway, littering the white walls between the various doorways. Pictures depicting happier times beamed out to me. They were memories I'd never repeat. Stories I could only share with second-hand listeners. They were symbols of a life I'd been stripped of. To some unfair and possibly unkind degree, they were as offensive to me as whatever waited less than a half dozen steps away. What'd you forget, man? Scott rubbed my back, comfortingly, as I drifted down Grease Rabbit Hole. He hadn't been there that night. He didn't see what Todd Wilkinson did to my mother. I know he had lost his dad, but as much as it sucked, Deacon Latimore died of natural causes, not some wacko who had reverse daddy issues. I started to say this, to wound my friend as I was wounded. Luckily, good sense prevailed, and I just answered his question. With everything going on, I don't know how. I forgot Mama died in my room. Oh. Yeah. What's down the door? Scott asked, apparently seeing the car for the first time. He tentatively stepped around me his hand already outstretched to pull the paper down. Then, abruptly, he stopped and swiveled around to me. Why isn't there police tape up here? Better yet, why does it smell so? Even as he spoke, my senses registered the familiar aroma of cleanliness. Now I'm sure that might sound weird. What does cleanliness smell like anyway? I can tell you, it's a heavy blend of bleach, glass cleaner, and to a lesser degree, lemon or pine. Pick your poison. Rinse. Repeat. Regardless, all this drifted from beneath the narrow slit between my door and the floor. Please, Scott, I whined, unable to expel an answer from rapidly drying lips. I knew what waited for us. It really wasn't a surprise anymore. Not when you considered Todd already completed some housekeeping tasks. Suspecting you know is one thing. Being presented with near irrefutable evidence is a whole separate beast. With these things rambling drunkenly around my mind, I reached for my friend, tried to hinder his access to whatever revelation soiled the card. Naturally, I failed. Horrified, I struggled closer as he read. I thought I could swat the paper from his hands. I even went so far as to raise a hand to strike it to the floor. I couldn't. And after a moment, I only managed to close the gap between us. Hello, Daniel, Scott read. His voice brushed against his teeth, trilling into the dismal hallway like a train whistle. I took it upon myself to remedy some damage your mother and I did to your room. I will not run through the list, son, but do be careful. The bed was broken, so I had to use something sturdy under one leg. You're welcome. Oh, and try not to be so messy. You're too old to have your parents clean up after you. Love, Dad. We stood outside the bedroom door, not quite side by side and more like 
Well, imagine the big brother intending to fend off the darkness for his beloved younger brother. Visualize those childhood misadventures where your every instinct screams to turn away. Scott and I didn't have our safety nets. We just had each other. And as my friend angrily crumpled the paper in his fist, the temperature in my veins dropped several degrees. We, he, and I together reached for the doorknob. His hand shook and mine crept forward as if anticipating the inevitability of pain. I didn't know which of us turned the knob, but my knuckles thrust the closed portal open. Glancing down, I saw my friend's now steady hand pressing, fingers splayed, where the card had been, and we pushed. The next few moments harbored details of significance. However, if I am to honestly convey them, I first need to tell you Scott provided most details later, after we had left the upstairs for good. Safety allows for hindsight's appreciation after all. First, we weren't in the room long before witnessing something that propelled us from the room and to the safety of dwindling daylight. The second is this. Todd is a man of his word. He had patched the holes. He had taken care of the laundry. He had even made my bed after using a fucking cinder block to keep the broken leg stable. The room looked, as much as possible, like nobody had been murdered inside. Honestly, I think it's one of the creepiest sights I've ever experienced. Why are these significant? I'll answer the first shortly. But don't you think it's kind of nuts that a murderer did his prey's housework? And let's be clear, I was Todd Wilkinson's prey. The man was seriously fucking with my ability to cope with tragedy. Now, let me tell you what waited for me on my desk. That tablet ain't mine, I murmured, though I wasn't certain my words were audible. I moved around my bed, glancing again at the clean gray stone beneath its severed limb. My eyes watered from not blinking, my tongue caught in my throat as an arid climate rooted within, but curiosity directed me towards the device. Its scream remained dark, unwelcoming, but as I drew close enough, I saw another slip of paper tucked under it, presumably so I would not miss it. It read, power on, click icon on screen, then watch. Don't do it, Danny. This shit has a real we about to get murdered vibe. Panic replaced Scott's customary calm. It offered such dissonance with my perception of him. I recoiled from the button as if bitten. But curiosity murdered the ever-loving shit out of the cat. And finding out, well, you know the rest. So shaking my head and unable to deny this new intrigue, I pressed my index finger on the smooth button. It didn't take long for the screen to power on half expecting some horrific imagery, or worse, candid pictures of me when I thought I was alone. I was surprised to see a generic screen, planted smack dab in the middle of the screen, an icon. Watch me was typed beneath. Bro, Scott said weakly. Though my eyes remained fixed on the screen, I saw, from the corner of my eyes, my best friend lean in. His movements matched my own, his curiosity mirrored mine. I've got a really, and I mean really bad feeling about this. I expected the spectral voice to chime in, to tell me this wasn't close to a good idea. I expected my ghost to plead I leave this question unanswered. I've never been too good at listening to sound advice, so it's probably good they kept silent. I pressed the icon and waited for the video to load. The video looked grainy, 
as if it had been recorded on an obsolete VHS camera. At first, my eyes struggled to acclimate to the terrible resolution. I didn't understand what I was looking at. A man knelt on a curiously familiar tile floor. I leaned closer, as if by removing some proximity from the screen, I'd gain better clarity. That's when the camera panned in on the man's face. The left eyelid swelled, restricting his eye with cancerous blueberry-tinted puffs. Blood trickled from the man's mouth, and periodically, he'd gurgle and spit a viscous red glob. Most of the time, the phlegm didn't make it farther than his ruined shirt. Scott's breath hitched the same time as mine. I knew this man. I knew why the scenery appeared so familiar, and I was about to speak what I knew when the video's audio suddenly came to life. Hello, Charles, said a voice off camera. Go fuck yourself! The bleeding man snarled, though it came out sounding more like, Oh, fuck yourself! Dad? I whispered, unwilling to believe, but suddenly absolutely certain. Dad's defiance earned a decidedly merry chuckle from the cameraman. I didn't remember what Todd sounded like, but I knew. I knew it was him. The camera jerked suddenly. I guess Todd picked it up or moved to a new position. After a moment, as the scene refocused, a shade swelled, engulfing the man and his surroundings. It fell over my father, shielding me from the rage in his eyes. I knew how this movie ended. Unable to stomach anymore, I reached for the tablet. I intended to power it off or throw it from the window. As my fingers wrapped around the device, Todd spoke again. I'm going to kill you, Charles. I'm going to kill you and eat you. Well, part of you, anyway. No! No! My father struggled against whatever Todd had used to keep him restrained. The Charlie Preston I remembered had always been super strong. But then kids typically think their dads are supermen. We don't grow beyond that mindset until... Well, it doesn't matter. I still believed he was a superhero. Sadly, it wasn't enough. Yes. Do not worry, though. It will only be painful for a time. <laughs> Todd chortled again. Mirth didn't seep into his laughter. Instead, I heard menace. I heard hateful intent. I heard the unspoken promise this man would ensure Dad's life would end in excruciating agony. Now I didn't register what happened next, but Scott did. The imposing shadows twisted grotesquely inverting in on itself. Where it appeared man-shaped seconds before, it now resembled something twisted and tree-like. The darkness didn't merely fill the scene. It encompassed it, pouring oozing black into everything. All the while, my father screamed, and the laugh, the god-awful <laughs> laugh grew huskier and more menacing. I watched Dad's final agonizing seconds, I screamed for him to fight harder. I clutched my shirt, pulling it from my breast, only to let go when it would stretch no more. I repeated the manic behavior. Nothing mattered. I couldn't save him from the monster who entered the frame, and glancing back, as if to make sure I was still watching, proceeded to tear into him. I can't say it was human. I can't say that it wasn't. Regardless, the room filled with slightly distorted sounds of ripping flesh and arterial spray. This lasted far too long. 
even as I comprehended the passage of only seconds. Then, when I thought it was over, the camera swiveled again. This time, I was face to face with the man I knew as Todd Wilkinson. The video retained its odd resolution that didn't quite give the illusion of a home video. Anyway, he sat at the table. Viscera dripped from his mouth, and the wild light managed to clearly shine through the screen. He opened his mouth and erect his grin. I shuddered uncontrollably at the expression, yet couldn't turn away. Then, as if I were right there with him, the murderer said, Hello, Daniel. I should like to see you soon. He smiled wistfully. You would almost think he wasn't surrounded by gore and death. He smiled so innocently. As for me, I turned my back to the tablet and fled the room, and vomited on the walkway leading up to the front porch. My insides heaved, and pressing my palms against the bare earth, I convulsed until only acrid air poured out. Finally, after my mouth burned from hateful release, I pushed up into a sitting position and turned my head towards the front door, which stood open in silent invitation. I could never go back in there, not after witnessing my father's horrific murder. I don't know how the house wasn't cursed by this point. For fuck's sake, three people met grisly deaths within those walls. My body ate, tears streamed my face's ragged lines and my muscles wound so tight, I wouldn't have been surprised if I'd bruised or torn something. I'm sorry. I lifted my head to meet Scott's mournful gaze. In that instant, we both accepted the absoluteness of evil. We accepted how dark the days were becoming, and slowly, more so than it should have been, I realized this was the best friend I had and would ever have. Tears blotted my eyes. I tried to swat them away, but they flowed too strongly as if they tapped into the river that fed my soul. He held out his hand to me. At first, thinking he meant to help me to my feet, I reached to take it. But where I should have felt his palm's leathery grasp, my fingers grazed rigid paper. Focus returned to my vision when recognition dawned. Letters bound in dark brown twine. When you ran outside, I went to your mom's room. He started. Scott dropped the stack into my open palm before continuing. They weren't in the closet though. No, they was resting right up on a bed. Now I know what you said about them being in a closet, so I took a quick peek. Floorboards were lifted and stuff had been tossed around. If it was me, and I know it ain't, but if it was, I'd burn those sons of bitches before you go any deeper down this rabbit hole. I didn't take my eyes off my hands as I spoke. My tone, I admit held an icy, almost murderous chill. I know this because he recoiled, stung, and merely listened as I spoke. You did not have to be here, Scott. I'm going to find him. I'm going to find him and hurt him. I'm going to make him wish he hadn't messed with the people I love. The cops, he started to say, but I jumped to my feet, and though he was taller than me by an inch or two, I towered over him. What about the cops, huh? Would you say they've done a real bang-up job? Don't you think Todd should be in jail by now? Huh? Tell me, brother. What if someone in the force is helping that piece of shit? Ever considered that? He is right, you know. I painfully twisted my ankle, which nearly forced me from my feet as I spun around. Miranda. 
The female cop I had met the night... That night. She had left messages for me to call her, but I had found enough reasons to avoid them as time wore on. Now don't get me wrong, as far as police go, this one seemed alright. Hell, she even seemed to care about catching my family's killer. It's just... She played for the losing team, and I was becoming increasingly less confident in the authorities. Even so, as my cheeks burned and I brushed my jeans in embarrassment, the detective drew closer. She moved rigidly, not in a robotic or wooden sort of way. No, it's like she carried the world on her shoulders and carried it well. Pride set her jaw and interwove her spine. It reminded you of a ballerina bound in an invisible corset. A gun remained holstered at her hip, but looking into her cool eyes beyond the horn-rimmed glasses, I understood her power didn't stem from any firearm. What you mean, he's right? Distrust crept into my friend's question. He looked at the letter still clutched in my hand as he spoke. I glimpsed another question there, but didn't have time to pursue it before Miranda spoke again. We shouldn't talk out here. Can we go inside? She dubiously eyed the congealing vomit near my feet, but didn't comment on it. Terror sprang up in my mind. I looked back to the house we had just come from. My eyes automatically drifted upward to the second floor and the general direction of my bedroom. My bedroom and the tablet Todd left for me. A cold tremor pulsed through me as I clutched the letters to my chest. Finally, as Scott moved to shake my shoulder, effectively yanking me from whatever reverie I had gotten lost in, I spat. I'm not fucking going back in there. Wilkinson has been in your house again. Not a question. Yes, I whispered, but that's not the worst of it. Tell me. Could I trust her? Sure, Miranda had been the officer who had guided me into this new life, who had tried in her own, obviously awkward way, to console a guy not much younger than her on the worst night of his life, who had been pretty straightforward and made no promises she couldn't keep, but she worked for a department I increasingly suspected of... Of what? I didn't have any real proof. Just my mother's thoughts and my own instincts screaming there were pieces that hadn't fallen into place yet. Sure, she had this nerdy cute vibe going on. Yet, even in my unhinged state, I didn't believe she used her appearance to tempt submission from people. Oh, even in those early moments, I knew she had used her physical stature and gender to coax numbskulls into underestimating her. We use what we have, after all. This cop, who had shown up out of the blue, who had entered the tail end of an ugly conversation, left me questioning my capacity for trust. I glanced towards Scott, who shrugged noncommittally. Hadn't he been the one saying I should go to the cops? Fuck. I growled under my breath. I lowered my hands to my sides and wished I had bigger, deeper pockets. We... better go back inside. Maybe I should show you a few things. It took far less time to summarize the last hour than I anticipated. Upon re-entering, we moved through each room, flipping on lights to dispel any lingering shadow. Thankfully, Miranda unclasped her weapon and held it, muzzle turned down, ready in case we met with any aggressive surprises. A harrowing lump formed in my guts as we silently maneuvered our way. It settled more heavily when we returned to my bedroom. Unable to go back in, I waited in the doorway as Scott circumvented the bed to pick up the tablet. Miranda's head twitched from side to side. I felt the gear spin as she processed the scene, though she kept her thoughts carefully pinned. We moved to Mom's room, 
and Waltz, checking for intruders we steadily knew weren't there. Finally, with my heart dragging emotional trenches, we drifted down to the living room. I let her read Todd's letter. We told her what we saw on the video. Strangely, when she powered the tablet on, there was no icon on the screen. Instead, we met with only a blank screen. This is getting really weird, Scott said after we had sat in smothering silence for what felt like a long time. Normally, someone cleans up crime scenes. It's ridiculous to expect anyone in your circumstances to do that, Miranda started. You said you cleaned blood from the steps? I nodded. Alright, I'm going to tell you both something. I have done a little digging over the last week. Remember I said you were correct about someone in my department seemingly aiding Wilkinson? Todd Wilkinson signed a confession where he states he willingly murdered your father. He alleged the act was premeditated and, contrary to public record, was not an unfortunate act of self-defense. She held up a placating hand as I lifted from my seat, mouth open to spew a few choice profanities. She waited for me to settle down before continuing. When I say little, I am being facetious. I only stumbled across the confession by chance. Now, there are two things beyond the obvious why this fine is problematic. First, this never showed up in court, allowing for his lawyer to push for a ruling of involuntary manslaughter. That's bullshit! I yelled. Fuck that noise! Scott snapped at the same time. I am not disagreeing with you. I have not seen the video you mentioned. I suspect, though I cringe at making certain assertions without first having someone attempt to follow the digital breadcrumbs, I suspect your father was brutally murdered. The letter he has left you also indicates- Indicates what? It indicates a man who does not have the control he believes he has. He is excitable, possessive. Factor in the other elements, we find ourselves playing cat and mouse with a dangerous foe. You didn't tell us the second thing. We turned to Scott, who leaned against a nearby bookcase, his arms folded across his chest. My friend looked like Miranda's colleague more than my longtime comrade. When he realized our eyes were on him, he uncrossed his arms and moved a half step away from the shelves. What? Miranda asked. You didn't tell us the second thing, he repeated. Ah, yes, the second thing. Well, two men took the confession. One of those men is dead. He committed suicide three years ago. At least, that is the official report. I am not so sure now. The other is my captain. She looked sad, as if this revelation betrayed her innermost sense of right and wrong. I pitied her in that moment, and simultaneously accepted her as a possible friend. Understanding passed between us, nothing is truly sacred. He once told me he did not believe Todd Wilkinson had it in him to be the murderer Nadia Preston claimed he was. Captain said he belonged, and that he was one of them. I did not think much of it at the time. Now that I think back, I wonder what he meant by one of them. Do you know anything about a series of murders in the Appalachians a year or so before I was born? I found myself asking. I can look into it. I cannot promise I will find much. The people in most mountain hamlets are generally tight-lipped. I will do my best, however. And Danny... She hesitated, frowned, and seemed to peer inward. Her features darkened, caught by shadows originating from within. After a lengthy pause, her eyes focused on me. They caught me as a deer in headlights, or the troubled child who gets caught with his hands where they shouldn't be. 
I need you to promise me something. I remained quiet, though I figured I already knew what promise she wanted from me. The house magnified the silence, where I might have once heard the sounds of life, from Wall playing video games to Mom singing silly ditties in the kitchen as Laundry and the dishwasher bustled about their business. I only heard the mournful creak of two settled wood. Somewhere in the house, a clock ticked closer to nightfall, and I swear I heard a faucet drip in the kitchen, though this was probably no more than my imagination. When I didn't respond, she said, Promise you won't try to play Private Eye, or Avenging Hero, or whatever it is you have in mind. It has not gone unnoticed you have been holding a stack of letters this whole conversation. As your knuckles have a rather chalky pallor, I would hazard those are not happy letters, or well wishes from folks who care for your family. I could insist you let me see them, and perhaps I will. But not today. If you promise you will do nothing foolish, like trying to find a man who is known to have brutally killed three people, I swear to you, I will get the answers you need, and we will make him answer for what he has done. Now, promise me, Danny. Promise. I ground my teeth thinking of any possible loophole where I didn't have to comply. Seeing none, I flat out lied. I promise. Whether she believed me or not, Miranda accepted my lie. Turning to Scott, she asked him to make the same promise. He studied my expression for a long moment without answering. Finally, as he rubbed his temples with thumb and forefingers, he also promised. I will hold you both to this promise. Danny, I suggest you gather some belongings and stay with your friend a little while longer. I will see if I can get a police detail to drive through this neighborhood periodically to make sure Todd does not return. Also, I will check in on you every few hours. Understood? Yeah. Sure, I understand. Good. She rose and stepped away from the couch. Now, I will wait down here while you two run upstairs. We silently retreated to the second floor where I mechanically gathered some more clothes and a few notebooks. I stuffed these into an old green duffel tucked on a closet shelf. I tried not to imagine Todd's hands on my garments. I struggled to keep the video from my mind's inner slideshow. I finished packing and started towards the door when Scott grabbed my bicep. What? I hissed, more angry at my thoughts than him. You lied to her, did not. I jerked my arm from his grasp causing the duffel to slam against my upper thigh. Wincing, I glowered and offered no other refusal. You did! We've been friends long enough. I know when you're lying at your ass. He glared at me angrily. I thought he might hit me. And, honestly, I didn't know if I'd blame him. The guy was my voice of reason, but I tuned him out. Vengeance was on my mind. Murder grew in my heart. I'm sorry. Save it. You sure you want me to stay with you and your mom? Don't be stupid. He did punch me then, though his heart wasn't in it now. You think she was telling the truth about that stuff? I shrugged, not knowing what to say. Alright brother, let's get out of here. I settled my bag over my shoulder. I motioned him to go out into the hallway before following. I paused in the doorway and surveyed my bedroom a final time. I'd never call this place home again. Maybe if I hadn't seen the video, I could have tricked myself into acceptance, but now... I'd never stay the night in my mother's house again. Sadly, I turned off the light and moved out into the hall. We had made it halfway downstairs when a peculiar thought occurred to me. I half turned to Scott with my mouth open to put the thought into words. Cocking my head, 
I felt pressure against my bladder as my loins, wanting to release a stream of urine, throbbed with sudden heat. What's wrong? Scott asked, noticing my sudden change. Mom never leaves her car in the driveway, I whispered, having to grab the railing to keep from falling down the final few steps. Yeah? What about? She never leaves her car in the driveway, I repeated. I turned around on the carpeted staircase and looked up at my buddy. Horror filled me and was matched by his own paling expression. Tell me, why is her car sitting in the driveway? This has been a Black and Grim production. The Black and Grim podcast is an original horror fiction production and cannot be reproduced without written consent from the creators. All rights to the story belong to the author and cannot be reproduced without written consent. Besides, I do not think you want to anger Grim. Thank you for joining us for episode 4 of Danny's River. Join us next time to learn why the car is in the drive. Grim? There's no new buddy this week? <laughs>